Welcome to the Spawn Chunks, episode number 121 for Monday, December 28th, 2020. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me as always is Joel Eggnog Duggan. Hi, Joel. How is the eggnog? Uh, mostly in my belly. Uh, I, I bought a two liter of eggnog, uh, and at the time I thought, oh, gee, the expiry date's December 31st. I hope it's last. it'll last that long. <clears throat> It's not it's not even <laughs> Christmas yet, and I'm going to have to buy another one. Uh, I do enjoy an eggnog drink after dinner, and I also like eggnog in my coffee. It is, that's a, it's a fun holiday treat. Uh, but when I go grocery shopping this weekend, I am going to be buying more. Uh, if you'd like to hear uh, uh, what uh, Pixel Riffs is going to be up to this weekend, aka reading a giant tome of architectural terms, uh, and about some fun holiday gifts that I just picked up today, then check out the Render Distance. It's the extended version of the podcast. You can find it at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to get access to that. Just become a member and you get extra content every week. It's also worth noting that we're talking about all of this stuff as though it's pre-Christmas because this episode is pre-recorded uh, and we're still not expecting a great deal of news from the Minecraft team over the holidays. We did catch the snapshot on our last episode, which we're very happy about, but this is being recorded on uh, Friday, December 18th. So if there have been any items of breaking news or if you're just slightly confused about where this falls in the, the Spawn Chunks timeline, uh, then this is our last episode before the new year either way, but it's just happening a little bit earlier for some of us and uh in terms of how much we've been able to do in minecraft this week we've had all of two days to play a little bit extra minecraft but have you got back into it there joel i actually have not even loaded in minecraft uh, because i've been a very busy podcaster this week pre-recording a bunch of things however uh i did uh start to look for some tools <clears throat> excuse me for myself for streaming Minecraft, because I do want to stream more over the holidays. If you're listening to this, you're probably in the throes of my extra streaming week. Um, but I did go hunting for fabric-based Twitch integration mods, uh, things that will allow the Twitch chat to maybe pop up in Minecraft chat. Uh, I was looking more specifically for something uh, similar to Twitch Spawn from the developer uh, iGoody. Uh, and we'll have a link to Twitch Spawn at iGoody.gitbook.com uh, in the show notes. And... I was very frustrated to find that very little exists for fabric at this time for Twitch stuff. And uh, I, for whatever reason, well, I shouldn't say that. I don't really enjoy the Forge mod experience. I find the whole Twitch launcher cursed Forge thing to be cumbersome, to be kind. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been looking for other things because we are running fabric on the citadel for performance reasons that helps people that have slower systems we find the server performs better um actually back to all those things that exumboy talked about earlier this year on the show um because they do the same with hermitcraft it does allow me to have some quality of life mods like a map for designing big areas like shulker box tooltip uh and some ambience kind of like ambient sounds like birds chirping and things like that nothing that really affects the core gameplay of minecraft but i was hoping to get have some twitch integration things or like when someone donates bits or, you know, cheers or uh, channel points, those kind of things to have it like coincide with some sort of in-game Minecraft. Um, I went looking through Cursed Forge and can I just say that the search quote unquote function on Cursed Forge is terrible. Uh -huh. Like you, I went looking for, like you narrow it down, say I want a mod, I want a fabric mod, and then I go and search for the type of fabric mod I want, you know, Twitch or, you know, whatever I want. And it completely forgets all of my filters. I cannot hone it down beyond just, just having to scroll through all of fabric mods and, and hope I can stumble upon one and not to slam mod creators because they can do it and I can't, but the names of some mods do not at all indicate what they do. Mm -hmm. And so curseforge doesn't seem to take into either account the name of the mod or the you know description of the mod it, it is terrible to try and find new stuff so i have a hive mind yeah. <laughs> uh, here in the lovely uh, spawn chunks audience and community if anyone out there knows of a twitch integration mod that runs on fabric I would love to know about it. I do know about the iGoody stuff for Forge, and uh, I may try that out, but I, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to get it to work in the way that I want. Um, but if you know of anything that's fabric-based, uh, I would love to know about it. And that's uh, spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Uh, please and thank you. Uh, it would be good to also kind of relate along to other listeners that might be interested in it as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Always good to know more about the modded world, especially when I am a relative novice in that arena, um, so I can't really be of much help there. Um, but yes, best of luck in your search. Uh, as for me, I've been converting the Survival Guide world to Bedrock Edition, which, again, when this show airs is going to be old news at that point, but for an episode 350 special, I decided to um, convert the world to Bedrock Edition and tour the world with RTX enabled, taking advantage of all of the stuff my new PC can do. And uh, there's some fun surprises, actually, when, when looking at that world with more realistic lighting. For a start, uh, my mountain biome still looks awesome. Uh, still my favorite place in the entire world, I think. Uh, and I built at the bottom of that a crystal cave with a bunch of ore blocks in it and corresponding, you know, concrete powder and uh, glass, stained glass, that kind of stuff to to kind of create this crystal cave that you would walk through to get to the ski lift. And in terms of how it looks in RTX, I was almost overwhelmed. I kind of think I would have built that a little bit more sparingly if I'd built it with RTX in mind, because obviously when you're uh, you're building that stuff in vanilla Minecraft, you're kind of compensating for the fact that the lighting effects aren't a thing and that the colors aren't necessarily as bold and the materials aren't as reflective or reflective at all, really. But then you go into that with RTX and suddenly everything is just popping out at you and it's it's too much. It's like rainbow vomit everywhere. And so I'm thinking about maybe if I if I do a bit more playing around in RTX and I build something similar just being a little bit more conservative with how I use the materials, and I think I could probably get some slightly slightly nicer results. But it was super fun touring the world that way. I looked around the museum, and it's weird how it's just something about like the ambience at that point. The shaders tend to give the world a little bit more of that kind of glossy cinematic feel, whereas if you're walking around in RTX, it does just look kind of more realistic, like light is behaving the way you expect it to. And it felt much more real that way, and in a in a less artificial way than I think shaders typically do. So, yeah, walking around the museum was super fun because I think of it as like a a location I'm trying to model after some sense of realism. Weird though that is in Minecraft, and and that was super fun. Uh, elsewhere, outside of the RTX stuff, I've been continuing to expand the museum archive because now I'm onto storing items i've basically got all of the blocks i want to move in there except i think for coral and i'm still not sure how much coral i really plan to store in there but now i'm moving on to bulk storage for items and i was wondering might run this past you and the folks in our live chat here what kind of items do you typically find you need bulk storage for i'm talking about the stuff that can't be actively placed in the world in block form or condensed down like coal can into coal blocks that kind of stuff what do you tend to need uh, item storage for so wait, so wait a minute, so not blocks? Yeah, yeah, so stuff like rotten flesh, you know, mob drops and that kind of stuff as oh. an example. Um, the stuff oh. I, I typically find I need bulk storage if I'm saving them for stuff like sticks, uh, because I'm not going to be throwing them away if they can potentially be used for stuff like item frames and paintings and torches right. and the kind of stuff that I need a lot of when I'm building a giant museum that's probably going to need that stuff. And I get loads of sticks now just by tree farming, because... A lot of the time I will craft sticks out of planks to make what I need, but then I realize that leaves drop sticks all over the place and suddenly I have a double chest of the things that I don't really want to throw away when there's that many. So I'm putting in bulk storage for sticks and I think all of the basic mob drops that I would get from a mob spawner because I already have them, so I might as well store them over there and then I've got an easy supply of bone meal for use in you know, the exhibits about flowers so that you can bone meal two tall flowers and see how that works that kind of thing so do you save a lot of items that way or do you typically just find storage for blocks no i've got some i've got some farms and some things that require some bulk storage uh and uh not and rods um blaze rods mm -hmm. uh bones uh, and i mean bones you can kind of like if this thing gets too full you can break them down into bone meal and then switch them over to bone blocks so like you can kind of condense that um slime balls Yes. Um uh, from Slime Farm. Uh I definitely have like I have a witch farm that stocks up on glowstone dust and redstone dust. Uh also has sticks. I think at a certain point though I stopped storing sticks. After four double chests, I'm just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. I'll let them I'll let them disappear. It's fine. Um what else is the other there's other things that I had there too. Um I think it's crops and stuff mostly for me as well. It's stuff yeah. like vines, sugarcane, right. that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of the time I will store it 
in situ at whatever farms there are, right? So my sugarcane farm is yeah. just also sugarcane <clears throat> storage. I don't always just take a bunch of that and then put it back in my storage system. I go straight to the farm and I'm lucky yeah. enough that my, my sugarcane farm is basically right next to my storage building anyway. But thinking about all of the stuff that I'm putting at the museum because I'm doing all of my work over there now. So for the sake of convenience, it helps to have a couple of double chests of bamboo in case, in case I need to make more scaffolding because I constantly lose scaffolding when I use it. Um, and there's, there's bits and pieces like that that I'm just trying to find out what I really need bulk storage, like multiple chests of storage for, and what stuff yeah. I can probably just tuck away a stack or two of that into a, a minecart chest that's designed to look like a drawer or something like that. So we stock um, all the Guardian drops because of building prismary whenever we need. Yeah. Uh, uh, wheat seeds, so grass <laughs> seeds. Uh-huh, uh, yeah. The, yeah. The, the villager, I've got a filter so that the the wheat goes one way and the seeds go the other, and the seeds are just kind of like hidden under the farm. But every now and again, you need a double chest of seeds when you're creating a wheat field on purpose, right? You have to yeah. plant stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Ender pearls is another one that we that we store bulk of because um we like you just you don't want to have to go hunting for them if you need them you just want to make sure you have a lot of them uh and what was the other thing that i was just thinking of um things like gunpowder and paper for rockets for fireworks yeah yeah for firework rockets and not sticks not feathers well no that's a lie like we i have a chicken farm for food but I keep the eggs and the feathers in like a in like a overflow filter. So like mm -hmm. I don't need more than two double chests worth of feathers. So once it's filled up, they just go into the trash. But I I'm collecting them just because like when someone wants to make three or four written books for some server event, you just want to make sure that they have enough feathers that they can use it, right? Oh yeah, and I plan on making a lot of written books for the museum, so I'm probably going to so need you go. a double you know, chest like of feathers. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like a chicken farm that that separates out the feathers and any eggs that are dropped in case you need more chickens. Like that's the other thing. Like if someone's when we're moving into a new area on the server and you want to set up a quick chicken farm, it's nice to be able to go back to the original chicken farm and there's a chest of eggs right there that yeah. you can just grab. A, you know, two or three stacks of sixteen eggs. That will be enough to get your new chicken farm up and running without really missing too much time, right? Mm -hmm. So there's little things like that. Um, we do have some that this is specific to the Citadel because we have some data packs for things like smelting rotten flesh into leather uh we can turn string into wool so we keep the string and the leather or the rotten flesh from any zombie or spider farms um because you can do a two by two of string and end up with a block of wool yeah um so that's always nice and i'm sure to think about there's anything else that we all the bulk storage that i think of i basically store um their blocks from the world like things like um leaves from trees we store a bunch of those in case you want to use them creatively um and then everything else i've got in big bulk storage it's all like you know stone dirt grass like all the stuff yeah. that you normally mine a lot of yeah yeah um, no. as far as items go oh ink sacks that's yeah. the other thing yeah 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 they've definitely did a lot of those i think um most of the item stuff is probably going to be just like small storage like i'm not going to have a double chest of nether stars you know so i think oh, a, yeah. a lot of that stuff is going i think dyes is the other big thing for me because like i'm going to need yep. to make so much terracotta concrete concrete powder probably wool for carpets and stuff as well like there are there are going to be some that i'll need more of than others like i use red so much more than i use like magenta for example but i think there's going to be a lot of crossover there that i will need to store a lot of dyes so that i can then use them to make a lot of other things so i think some kind of like upscale flower farm is is coming up next in in the near future um but let's let's move on to briefly i think talking about one news item because we didn't cover this on the last show uh and i feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention it minecraft dungeons has a uh another seasonal event going on right now in fact that by the time you folks are hearing this listening to the main show on the podcast feed you've probably only got a couple of days left for it uh this is the chills and thrills seasonal event which of course is themed around winter and as with the halloween event it's got a couple of seasonal twists on daily trials which reward the player with exclusive gear when completed there is a trailer for that that's uh now a couple of weeks ago on uh, Dungeons Game on Twitter, and so we'll link that in the show notes as well. I think it only launched today, though, so I have still not had a chance to hop in and play it, but 
I presume it's just going to be quite similar to the Halloween event in terms of a little bit of extra gameplay, maybe some slightly harder levels and a couple of unique drops like I think the Arctic Fox armor is like a variant of the regular Fox armor that's going to be uh, going to be out there. I expect Creeping Winter, if anyone's got that DLC, is going to be getting a lot of play over Christmas. Yeah, it goes from December 18th uh, through December 30th and um, Arctic Fox. And there was one other thing that they showed in the in the trailer. I thought it was like it did something special like it. Um, there was a pet. Is there a dog that comes along with it or I'm not sure if it affects the pet or what or it's just maybe just part of the trailer, but um, they don't really show much. Um, but yeah, like I, I need to get back in there. And one of the things I do want to play over the holidays is getting into um, Minecraft Dungeons again. And I like that there's these seasonal events. And as we suspected, it's not necessarily Christmas themed. It's just yeah. sort of like, you know, a nice something to complement the um, howling peaks, you know, where there's a lot of snow and you know, high, high mountain chilly kind of vibes. Yeah, I think it's it's quite a good timely one to come out so soon after uh, Howling Peaks did. So yeah, hopefully folks are enjoying that and getting in on the action. And um, yeah, I, I still kept all of the seasonal items that I got from the Halloween event, even though they aren't like really the, the type of stuff that I want to use on my character and they're not like leveled up to me. I guess I could use the blacksmith in-game to update the, the power level of them so they're a little more usable, but... Most of the time, I think it's just nice to have that stuff because it's like, you know, a unique sign that you you turned up to those events in particular. So I might hop into that over the weekend. We'll uh, we'll see what I have time for. Well, we can move on into the email this week. What we decided to do is dig deep into the Spawn Chunk mailbag and uh, and pull some some questions and comments and things um, about all kinds of different topics from you folks. I'll start off with the first one. But if you'd like to email the show, that is Spawn Chunk Mail at gmail.com just know that we won't be able to get to it until uh, 2021 when we start doing new shows in, in the new year um, the first email comes from Knox Gagnon I hope I'm pronouncing your name right subject is bedrock edition I'm starting to feel like bedrock edition of Minecraft is being neglected Mojang keeps adding more and more to the Minecraft marketplace to make more money off of us but they still haven't given us the parody we want why can't we use our offhand like it's used in the Java version. Why can't we build on top of the nether roof? Why don't we have hardcore or spectator mode? It doesn't make any sense. Why can't we customize our super flat worlds? Why don't we have spectral arrows? How come when I make a tiny gold farm, it crashes the game? Why is there are, are there no data tags in the Bedrock Edition? Why don't we have advancements? Or why do we have advancements instead of achievements? Why can't I play older versions of the game? Why don't creepers drop all the items they explode? Why are there no furnace minecarts in Bedrock? There are so many things as Bedrock players that we want Moyang to add, and they've not added it or probably won't. Instead, they waste their time adding the skin editor to the game so that we can buy even more stuff from them. Nox. Obviously, Nox doesn't speak for all Bedrock players, <laughs> nor does do they speak for the spawn chunks. But um, I just thought it was an interesting passionate email about uh, Bedrock versus Java to include. Uh, we don't often get to talk much about Bedrock on the show because we cover Java mostly, but because you know, you've been spending some time in Bedrock lately, Johnny, I thought it would be a good one to bring in because it's kind of like in the forefront of our minds lately with the RTX stuff. Yes. Um, so I will defer to your knowledge of Bedrock. However, Furnace Minecarts and Java are not that useful. <laughs> so I'll put that out there as well. Absolutely, yes. Um, and I imagine just from my rudimentary and rudimentary knowledge that being unable to access older versions on the bedrock, I'm, I'm guessing that just has to do with being able to have it work across platforms like um, tablets and 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 you know Nintendo Switch and Xbox and PC. Like, I mean, there's yep. considerations that bedrock has to deal with that I think can squash a number of the things that Knox mentioned in their email. Um, so I just I want to mention that like it's not that Mojang doesn't want you to have these things. It's that this bedrock version serves mojang uh, and and microsoft better <laughs> to be on multiple platforms and and, and it, it, that is the the purpose of bedrock in my mind is to to be as best it can be for all of these players which means that for the people that want to play bedrock on pc you're probably going to come up against some things that don't necessarily make sense for you at the keyboard mouse monitor that are essential for someone that's playing on a tablet where they've got to tap the screen to do stuff and there's no real like, you know, right click, left click, that that kind of thing. Um, 
so yeah, that's kind of where I stand on it. It's like, I, I just think it's because of the different, uh, not the marketing nature, but like the different um, mission of Bedrock for Minecraft is why there are still some um, some pretty large differences. However, there are some things that I find uh, that Knox made a point to um, that are a little bit strange that they don't have. Like, why don't why aren't there spectral arrows in Bedrock? Like that to me doesn't seem like a platform specific thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, first of all, uh, happy Festivus, Knox. Thank you for airing your grievances. Um, <laughs> I, I like this this laundry list of stuff you've provided for us to go through point by point, and I will get there. Um, I also like the fact that the the basically the second line of this email was Microsoft is making more money off of us, which I feel like is a kind of a tiresome refrain when it comes to this stuff. Like, uh, not to not to come down on that kind of attitude too hard, but it's like you know a lot of the money that goes into this is funding the development of a game that has otherwise provided free content updates for basically ten years. Um, but mm -hmm. but outside of that, a lot of this does seem like fairly legitimate feedback. I think it is unfair to think of it as neglect. And on both sides of the Bedrock Java quote-unquote divide, and I really hope there isn't a divide really in this community, but you will find people saying, well, our version is being shoved to one side so that they focus on this and that, right? So... Um, I think Bedrock has seen a lot of development, uh, not just in terms of like game development, but in terms of like the community development and the overall kind of profile of Bedrock has been raised recently. There have been parity updates. There have been a lot of new features over the last few years. It just got volume sliders, which is huge. And you can say like, why didn't it get volume sliders earlier? And stop that line of thinking right now, because there is definitely some stuff that gets added that you're like, this should have been in the game all along. Celebrate the fact that it is, not the fact that it should have been uh, in the game for a while. Um, I honestly think you're, you're bang on the money there, Joel. One of the things that holds Bedrock back, or perhaps, you know, forces the developers into developing Bedrock in a different way, is the range of devices it's being developed for, and the demands of each device's attached ecosystem, which is something I'll get into here. Um, so I, I decided to break this down point by point, because there are a lot of different issues at play here. Um, and first of all, uh, let, let's go through why why can't we use our offhand like it's used in Java Edition? I think I've talked about this plenty of times before, but I believe this is because of mobile players, because they have to navigate the same game version as everybody else while using a touchscreen, which is essentially one giant button. Um, there are obviously like a few other controls on the screen so that there is an area of the touchscreen used to control movement and then you kind of click around to break things. But then the nuance of control required to implement the offhand in the way that it works in Java Edition, when some players don't have the dexterity to right-click consistently and items can't be swapped into the offhand with a keyboard button the way they can on Java, um, would be more frustrating than beneficial, I think. And obviously there are definitely some benefits to having an offhand, but I think it's a little bit difficult to implement that kind of stuff in a way that everyone is going to be able to easily adapt to, especially when you're looking at stuff like accessibility, but that's a, a different road that I won't go down. Um, you might think a solution to that might be to allow different offhand support for different devices, right? You've got Windows 10 edition, console version, mobile version. You could have a different control scheme for each, but then giving them extra abilities gives them an advantage if they share a server with a mobile player, because you can do that on Bedrock, you can join from Windows 10, Xbox, mobile, Switch, whatever, all on the same server. Having some players be able to put stuff in their offhand and some players not really isn't going to be great for gameplay. That's going to be giving other players an advantage that they shouldn't have, especially when you consider on Java Edition, you can shoot a bow from the offhand. You know, I don't know if you can do that on on bedrock edition maybe you can but i think the the implementation of it that way is going to make combat very one-sided in favor of players who are able to use an offhand um moving on to why you can't build on top of the nether roof you're not meant to and it's a controversial opinion i know coming from a java player but this isn't a feature mojang owes anybody it was just a mistake effectively that was made when the dimension height in java edition reached 256 they thought we're only going to make the nether half as high and then the rest of that space was just not used up and then players found exploits that let them get up there and now players are so used to it and used to making farms that way that mojang doesn't want to take that away from them as a counterpoint to this though the mob despawning and respawning range in bedrock is now something like 50 blocks 
I think. It is less than half what it is in Java Edition. Uh, so I don't know about you, Joel, but you've built a, um, a zombie pigman farm inside the nether cavern. Can you imagine how much easier of a time you would have had if the spawning range on that was only 50 blocks wide? <laughs> you look well, at yeah. the, amount of, the amount of terrain you would not have had to spawn proof as a result. Um, and I think, arguably, that's how farms in the nether can work on Bedrock Edition. You don't have to escape the nether cavern in order to build an effective farm, provided that the farm works effectively, which is a different issue with, with uh, Bedrock Edition's mob cap. But that's that's something different entirely, right? Yeah, no, that, and that, that's what I was going to say, is that I can build on top of the nether in Java Edition, and I choose not to because yeah. I find it kind of dull like i just you know if i want to build in the nether i want to build in the nether if i wanted to build something so far up in the sky that nothing would bother me i wouldn't even bother with the nether where there's going to be ghasts and stuff lying around i'm just going to build it in the sky you know yeah. uh, I, like i i find that the the nether ceiling thing is always a i, I understand why it, why it is still in the game um but i always err on the the comment that that you just made which is like it's not supposed to be it's it's yeah. a bug like yeah. being able to break bedrock is not how bedrock is supposed to be sure it's it's, it's not, not it's not it in, intended behavior right exactly exactly mm. yeah and so um i i'm interested in seeing what happens in the future if the world height of the overworld is increased as we are expecting it to at least be tried out in uh in the java edition snapshots coming up soon if that then ends up extending to the nether and we see an end to the nether roof height being part of it because maybe the nether gets expanded upwards or downwards as well and then a lot of stuff changes about that it might also as we mentioned on the logical geek boy episode uh have changes to how mob spawning works if the height of the overworld changes and java currently calculates spawning based on you know how high up in the world something is who knows what effect that's eventually going to have um so let's move on to a couple of other things. Uh, on another technical point of view, uh, some I think one of the questions was, why don't creepers drop all of the items when they explode? They don't. <laughs> they don't even do that on Java. Uh, only TNT does that. And it took 10 years for them to make that change in Java Edition because people had already engineered cobblestone generators and other devices that exploited game mechanics to make TNT drop all the blocks before this change was made. Like if you look at cobblestone farms designed by Il Mango and, and the Cycraft lot from a couple of years ago, they basically took advantage of the time where a block was being pushed by a piston but then hadn't ended up you know, in the next place that block was destined to be, there is a state change that went on there. And if you blew up the blocks at exactly the time they were pushed, then they became a lot weaker. And then the game broke all of the blocks. In, and, and that was how you got a 100% drop rate with TNT. And so Mojang realized that players were having to go to extraordinary lengths just to calculate timings like that. And they thought, well, if people are going to do this anyway, we may as well just make TNT do that for the future so that they don't have to go to such extremes. And creepers have never been a part of that, so I'm not. I, I think this this question is maybe like misplaced, but I think, uh, yeah, I don't think that's a a problem you need to be concerned about. Um, hardcore in spectator mode is, I think, the one thing that I'm still not entirely sure why Bedrock doesn't have those yet. And again, like all of this has basically been me speculating about this, but I think it might be something to do with the fact that without spectator mode hardcore mode used to actually delete the worlds so as soon as you died in a world you went back to the main menu and that world was deleted until spectator mode was implemented and you could fly around and look at stuff but not interact with anything and i think console manufacturers or maybe even just the console player base might not be happy with being killed in a world and then data being deleted from their device i think it comes down to that i think maybe that's something that you know, PC players might have been slightly more okay with that maybe the console manufacturers take exception to. Like, explaining to Xbox, yeah, and then it just deletes your game. <laughs> and and, and the, the people at Xbox thinking, well, we're going to have to get a lot of emails about this because parents mm -hmm. are going to be asking, like, why has my child's game been deleted because they died? Um, so I, I have a feeling it's probably down to something like that or whatever kind of uh, code of conduct... Um, microsoft or sony or whoever has for developers in that sense um it, it may not be that that's just my my inkling about it um 
And of with course, the ongoing concerns with technology and privacy concerns too, like I would imagine yeah. there's certain rules from different platforms as to what you can and cannot delete from a device once it's been created. Like yeah. it, it, because I mean, like when you sell an app on these platforms, a lot of these stores take a cut, whether that's an Android or an Apple or whatever. Uh, and and I feel like if you're deleting stuff, then that also has to be a permission granted by the developer, and that's probably. It, and then, then you get into foggy territory as to what country you're in and what those laws are. And I just, I imagine it's probably just an easier thing to just not have it happen at all. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think implementing a hardcore world the way it works on Java now would require them to implement spectator mode. And that's the thing that I'm still not sure why they don't do. Um, but it may also be... I think that there's some, some weird middle ground here because obviously Windows 10 PC players and maybe even mobile players have access to commands that you can type with a keyboard interface, right? But then I doubt anybody is using commands on the Xbox, PS4, or Switch versions because of how awkward it is to type text um, mm -hmm. using like the on-screen interface, and very few people, I think, play with pluggable-in keyboards for their consoles. So I, I expect a lot of the reason they don't have stuff like spectator mode is just how awkward it is to navigate menus to take yourself in and out of spectator mode and... You know, there's there's a few kind of odd things there. Um, this kind of ties into one of the other questions, which was why can't you customize super flat worlds and why are there no data tags in Bedrock Edition? And I think the Bedrock Edition command syntax is different anyway, and that's probably down to it being coded in a different programming language to begin with. Um, but it probably comes down to the same reason they might not implement stuff like hardcore and spectator mode, which is a minimal amount of users and a complex thing to implement. I think it's it's probably going to be getting fairly minimal usage, but probably requires a lot of effort to add in stuff like that and and make command syntax exactly the same. And we know that data packs and add-ons are basically two completely separate things when it comes to modifying the vanilla experience from a developer-intended level. Um, and so I, I think it's the same kind of principle there. It's like the the amount of people who want data tags in bedrock edition is such a small portion that i expect are probably kind of half okay with just playing java if they want to do that stuff and the only people likely to mess with that really i expect would be windows 10 players and i'm fairly certain they make up the smallish proportion of bedrock players so there's some some very like mathematical thinking going into that which again i have no idea if i'm accurate about any of this um Let's let's quickly talk about advancement versus achievements. Achievements are from the Xbox Gamer Score and PSN Trophies ecosystems. Um, and I agree that having advancements per world is better, but the only thing you realistically get from advancements is a sense of satisfaction and maybe like a little bit of XP for some of them, right? So if you really want the advancements, look up a list of the advancements and just do them in your world. And you won't get the endorphin rush of a thing popping up saying good job, but ultimately you're getting the same experience. Um... And I think it comes down to console marketplace restrictions. At that point, it's the same reason that you can't get achievements if you enable cheats, because they want that stuff to be obtained, quote-unquote, legitimately. And I guess just adding an additional system for advancements on top of that doesn't make a, a whole lot of sense. Um, so the only thing left on that list now is older versions of the game. And I think you kind of touched on this, to go full circle back to your point, Joel. I think it comes down to um, console marketplace restrictions... Because when you look at the way Java Edition works, it effectively installs a server jar, which is like the executable, the thing that runs that version of Minecraft, and assets for every version of the game every time you install a legacy version. So if I wanted to go back and play Minecraft 1.0, then I could install the files for that, and it adds that basically to my hard drive, and I get to it through the launcher. Bedrock Edition doesn't have a launcher, you just load up the game and it's Minecraft. Um... And I think having legacy versions as part of that would effectively require, say, the Xbox Store or the PlayStation Store to install, like, 16 different versions of the game at once. And I don't think they're happy doing that because then it starts to get into, like, well, which version of this am I loading? Do I have 16 different launch icons? How difficult is it to implement a version switcher from the main menu that then makes it obvious which of your worlds are from which version 
and it would be a nightmare for compatibility with stuff like Realms, and even single-player worlds on Bedrock, especially on shared devices. <laughs> Can you imagine having a world that's in 1.16 and your little brother tries to open it in 1.12 and it just breaks everything? Um, yeah. And th there might be some sort of safety measures they could implement to stop people from doing that, but still, you're going to end up messing with that. And then once again, it's angry emails sent off to Xbox that they really don't want to deal with. <laughs> um, and while it sounds like I'm making a lot of excuses on their behalf, I expect there, in the long run, could be ways that people will... You know, to pe people, the, the developers of the of of this version of Minecraft could find to implement stuff like this. But I think it comes down to how many people are really going to use it and how many people just want the game to move forward. And I think you'll find that a lot of these are just cost-benefit analyses going on behind the scenes and then finding that it's not going to be worth developing that just so that people can go back, play Minecraft 1.0 and go, actually, no, this is rubbish. <laughs> like, let me, let me go back to playing 1.16 when I have hunger and a trident and like mm -hmm. all, all, of the, all of the modern kind of features of the game. Now, I have noticed a bunch of Bedrock players recently with legitimate gripes about the state of the game vis-a-vis -vis bugs and the amount of things that recent updates have been breaking. Um, I think World Edit is no longer compatible with Bedrock Edition Worlds. Instead of refreshing chunks, it just deletes giant holes in your world and there are various like player aids and different tools that sort of aren't really compatible with the current version anymore and will need updating but um yeah the development of bedrock edition has largely speaking been you know a rocky one but i think is headed in the right direction overall it's a two steps forward one step back kind of situation some of the time and questions like this are always good because you are you know, holding the developers accountable for stuff that you would like to see in the game. I just think it needs to be made with a slightly more balanced view on exactly what is required of the developers and how many people are actually going to incorporate this into their experience from the hundreds of millions of people who play Bedrock Edition. Mm -hmm. I agree. All right, so I'm done with my monologue, so now time for somebody else's monologue. Uh, this next email comes in from Kyo Dude, and the subject is Wool versus the Warden. Hi, Johnny and Joel. Love the podcast and can't wait for every episode. I turned on notifications just for you. Well, thanks. We appreciate it. In the last episode, you discussed the Warden and how you could use wool to dampen certain sounds. I had an idea that it was inspired by the way torches work. When you place a torch, it can light up to 14 blocks of emptiness. And in those 14 blocks, hostile mobs can't spawn in when the light level is above 7. Now, think of that mechanic, but instead of light, it's vibration dampening. This way, when you place a wool block, it will at least dampen the sounds and vibrations for the warden. And this doesn't mean it will be completely oblivious to your movement, just hindered by the wool. If the deep dark turns out to be what I expect it to be, then I'll be heading down to the biome often. And with this way of using wool, you won't have to destroy the environment and take away from that deep dark vibe by having wool everywhere. I would like to add that I don't think this mechanic should cross over to skulk sensors because this could really mess with some redstone contraptions. What do you think about this way of dealing with the Warden? Do you think it's better than wearing leather boots? Keep up the amazing work and have a chunky day. I'll make the note, I don't remember when, but this email did come in before the latest snapshot where mm -hmm. Wool was updated a little bit uh, to then um, deal with skulk sensors and, and sneaking around and stuff like that. However, um, I think that the Wool as a torch for vibrations would just make the deep dark have wool spam quote unquote instead of torch spam yeah <laughs> like i just i don't think that's really what what mojang wants in terms of players going down to this really cool designed biome and just plopping wool everywhere to dampen the sound and make it safe to walk around um it's a neat concept i like the idea of something that will dampen the sound with a perimeter so not all sound just sound within that particular perimeter it's a neat idea i don't know if wool blocks are necessarily the best as executable for that mm -hmm. um the more i think about this though the more i think that an enchantment uh either hard to get on boots or a time sensitive potion might be the best way for sneaking around the warden that's if mojang decides to provide that kind of option in the game there might be no way to avoid the warden outside of just sneaking with your shift button um but if they do decide to have something where end game players can use it, I think having it um, a finite resource, like similar to how, yes, there's um, fire resistance potions, but what's the max? Eight minutes? 
right? So you got to keep track. You got to know when that's, if you're swimming around in lava and you've got 55 seconds left, like you get that, you have to get the heck out of Dodge, right? Like you don't want to be caught because mm-hmm. you will die quickly, uh, no matter what kind of gear you have. And I feel like they, if they decide to have something in the game that will help protect you or help hide you from the wardens, we'll say sensitivities, uh, I, I imagine it's going to be timed and short lived would be my, would be my guess. Yeah. Um, and probably not stackable. So like if you want four or five of them, they're going to be sacrificing inventory slots when you go. Yeah. Um, I, I like the concept of this as somebody who has acoustic panels in my office now, like, yay for sound dampening. That's an actual thing that exists. Uh, but I, I'm not sure if, yeah, just a single block of wool providing a radius of protection, we'll say just for simplifying that. Um, I'm not sure that's the right implementation. I I like the idea of doing what we do with skulk sensors and having to walk around on wool blocks to avoid vibrations really being given off by by your footsteps. Um, And it it might make exploring the deep dark kind of fun, but I don't know if just putting down one wool block and having that protect you in the same way a torch protects you from mob spawns is really the right way to go. That seems a little too overpowered for me and also isn't exactly the way the acoustics work um Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i i think ultimately it comes down to whether or not the warden's hearing works the same way as skulk sensors and just a mobile version of that because you can imagine skulk sensors and the warden are going to be affected by largely speaking the same things so i'm i'm wondering if that's going to be the case or not and i think it's it's really just going to come down to what they how they implement that in the snapshots what the player feedback is and then take this discussion from there so watch this space uh because potentially there'll be more warden stuff coming uh in the new year the next email comes from sam c replace leather boots functions with enchantments hi pixarifs and joel 1.17 1.17 will have no shortage of traps on multiplayer servers thanks to the new addition of Powdered Snow. But the fact that the experienced Minecraft player will have to wear leather boots practically all the time to prevent falling through any powdered snow may anger some players. A solution to that may be to have an enchantment to add to any type of boots, perhaps called Snowwalker or something along those lines. To make that enchantment even rarer, this enchantment could be considered a treasure enchantment or an enchantment only focused found in loot chests. This would make it so players would have to find the enchantment book in loot chests rather than having them uh, show up from villager trades from the librarians, uh, perhaps even finding it in the deep dark. Uh, This would allow or keep players from having an infinite number of these quote unquote snow walker enchantments. This would make it so that players would still have to put an effort into not fall through powdered snow every five minutes, but could still wear their precious netherite or diamond boots. Sam C. Thanks for the email, Sam C. Much appreciated. Um, Frostwalker already exists in the game, <laughs> and I don't see it used very often. Yeah. Uh, to the point where I forgot it existed until Sam C. wrote in. <laughs> and he said, Snowwalker. I was like, wait a minute. I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember thinking Frostwalker was so cool when I first found it because I hated using boats. And I thought, I'm just going to run across, across the ocean. This will be great. Um, and... I can't remember exactly what happened. I think my frost rocker boots, like the um, uh, durability ran out or something. Mm-hmm. And then I was stuck with no boat and no boots uh, and took a long time to swim back. This was very early in my Minecraft life. Um, but I mean, they had the ability to let you walk on water by freezing it as you walk on it. Uh, I think they should add the ability to walk across powdered snow like Legolas from the Lord of the Rings walks on top of snow in the mountain. Uh, I think that would be a great way to add new functionality to something already in the game. Uh, it's like in our chat last week, we talked about like boot, boot vibration dampening. We just got an email about like something similar a few minutes ago. Um, I totally forgot that we have to deal with powdered snow too. Mm-hmm. And right now leather boots are the way to deal with that. So it, it just starts to, it starts to overlap in ways that I think there has to be a better solution than just different kinds of gear. Yeah, I... I'm still wondering how circumstantial that is, really. Like, that's the, my main thing is, like, I doubt players are going to fall for powdered snow all the time. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know, because the only way it's going to generate is going to be in mountain biomes. So you'd be aware of it. You're like, okay, I'm going to climb this mountain. I should probably put some leather boots on for the duration. You come back down, you take them off, you put your regular boots on, you walk away. And you don't need to worry about stuff like that all the time. If you're playing on a server where people are going to be laying a lot of traps 
unless they're already in a snowy biome, you're going to be able to detect that there's powder snow because there is snow there in the first place. <laughs> like, I really don't know. I'm probably one of the only people I can think of who's built in a snowy biome recently. And and I only did that once just to prove that it was a good place to build. But I, I don't think players are going to be put in the situation where powder snow is really going to affect them all the time. Um, and and if, there, if you were, I, I kind of agree. Frostwalker could be helpful in snowy situations. Since it's mutually exclusive with Depth Strider, you wouldn't be wearing those boots all the time. Because personally, I find being able to move more easily in water vastly more useful than Frostwalker. Um, so you'd still trap some players because some people would stick to their Depth Strider boots. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of think that... It's kind of like when you're a kid and you're worried about falling in quicksand all the time and then you realize that quicksand isn't really a thing you're going to encounter throughout the day uh, in your day-to-day -day life. And so, yeah, I think we're all a little bit on edge about skulk sensors being the new trap thing and then powder snow being a trap thing as well and we're imagining there are going to be traps around every corner. I sort of don't think we're going to need to worry about it that much. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to come in for a cup of tea in my mushroom base? Don't worry, the snow carpet is totally natural. Yeah, exactly. I just decided to carpet this with snow. No reason, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I honestly think it, it's, a, it's a fun idea to have more ways around that stuff, but I think people are like it's probably going to be fun to fall through snow traps every now and again. If, if nothing else, I think the novelty of it actually working on you once or twice is going to be enough to give some people a giggle. And it's whether or not the person who's laying the trap is vindictive enough to put lava underneath it and destroy all your gear, at which point you probably don't want to play on a server with that person, especially not for, if, if you're me. Like, no, I'm out of there. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's it's got to be a bit of fun either way. And I honestly think that anybody who knows their way around Minecraft is probably going to spot powder snow pretty easily. If you run into it naturally, you just have to use a shovel on the blocks and you can get out of there very easily. It's not going to worry you too much. So, uh, yeah, I think the occasional fall into lava is the only real thing you have to worry about. Yeah, I mean, if, if it wasn't just like a sign that says, then uh, I wouldn't find it funny no, either. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, let's move on to another email from W Squirrel, a landscape artist member of our Discord. Thanks so much for writing in. Uh, the subject is Lego questions and a digital tabletop tip. Hi, Johnny and Joel, Patreon supporter here. Quick question for Joel. You've mentioned using Lego as inspiration for Minecraft builds before. Have you ever thought of trying to recreate those in Minecraft, possibly using Lego as a scale? One thing I remember you mentioning on the Citadel Cafe a few weeks ago was the A-Wing Ultimate Collector's Edition Lego set. Have you ever thought of recreating things from Star Wars in Minecraft? Also, a little friendly advice to pass along to the Spawn Chunks community, touching on the fairly recent discussion about Minecraft being used for Dungeons & Dragons. I can't remember who exactly sent in that email, but I want to recommend they look into software called Tabletop Simulator, which costs around £20 on Steam and is a massive open sandbox tool for anyone playing any type of tabletop game long distance, from D&D to chess, Warhammer, etc. I would highly recommend anyone who wishes to play any kind of board game or tabletop game online to check it out. Thanks for the amazing podcast you do every week, and have have a chunky Christmas, the Double O Squirrel. <laughs> so the D and D email that Double O Squirrel was talking about was from Kokorodaki, uh, a landscape artist member, in the Render Distance episode for episode one hundred and fifteen on Spawn Chunks, and uh, the tabletop simulator, as it happens, was brought up on a yet to be released recording of the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, no, sorry, that came out today. Never mind, it's out. I get confused. I've recorded a lot of stuff this week. Um, anyway, my friend James uh, has been reconnecting with his brothers long distance because he can't travel home for the holidays. And so they've spent a lot of time reconnecting with things like uh, Nintendo Switch and also Tabletop Simulator. He has a board game group and that's how they've been keeping in touch with the pandemic. And he was clarifying what uh, the tabletop simulator was and that it is more of like a sandbox physics engine. So it doesn't necessarily simulate a tabletop game as much as it allows you to simulate tabletop game mechanics like rolling dice, things falling, a chess board, like that, like that kind of thing. Uh, and so uh, it really does kind of like lend itself to it doesn't do the the heavy lifting of the imagination and and the gameplay for you. It just kind of provides the physical tools that you can't handle when you're not in the same physical space, like board pieces, dice. Um, there's a 
can't remember the other example. Oh, um, dealing cards. It'll deal like, you know, if shuffle deck of cards and put random cards out, it'll do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of thing that the tabletop simulator is, is good for, um, which is very cool. It's, I didn't know that it, it existed until um, the double squirrel wrote this in. And then as, as it just so happened a day later, <laughs> James brought it up. Yeah. I've been, um, I've been watching a couple of shows uh, on YouTube that do board gaming stuff typically in, you know, their own, space like in, a, in an actual studio uh and they've all transitioned to doing stuff on tabletop simulator and it's it's a uh a good way of making sure that nobody's like cheating for example if you're like rolling dice people can't fudge the numbers everyone can see what they've rolled and stuff like yeah. that and so if you if you play with people who you're worried about that kind of stuff going down then yeah i, th- I think that's that's really where it comes into its own like you said as a a physics simulator and a shared space that everybody can look at and the same thing is happening for everyone and i don't know or remember what they're called they're like badges or add-ons or whatever but you can get like the settlers of Catan add-on for tabletop simulator and not everyone that is playing in your group has to have the same add-on only one person has to have the dnd or the the Catan or the chess or whatever and then all the other players can just log on to that person's instance of that game and participate so the dice are rolled in this one instance and everybody can just see the same thing it's not like you have to have five versions of it all going on people's computer yeah, which, so that's cool which makes sense because you know if you want to play settlers of Catan, you don't all have to turn up at that person's house with a copy of settlers of Catan. so exactly yeah it's like yeah. it's like you're coming to somebody that somebody else is hosting you and they're playing the game right yeah that was very cool uh, in terms of Lego, um, I do find that Lego helps indicate scale for Minecraft builds if the Lego build is minifig scale. So a lot of the times I turn to legoideas.com because there are less play sets and more people creating like really beautiful art and, and sculptures and things like castles or Rivendell or like all this kinds of crazy stuff that they put up on uh, Lego's ideas, which is fantastic. Uh, and it helps, but it's not a one-to-one because Lego blocks are not cubes. They're a little squat. Mm-hmm. So like a a four-stud Lego brick, which when you look down at the top of it is square, it's not as high as it is wide or deep. So it, you can't always get the right kind of um, scale. However, if you think about a minifig player as a boat or a figure as about the same size as the Minecraft player, that can kind of inform how many bricks you can use uh, to get the kind of detail that you want. Problem with the Lego stuff is that Lego has bricks that are much smaller. There's a lot more sub block style things in, yeah. in in Lego than there is in Minecraft. So depending on how big you're building and how big you decide to do something, your Lego uh, translation might not have nearly the same detail as you were expecting because you just don't have those sub blocks in Minecraft that you do in in um uh, in Lego, as you think about anything smaller than a two by two stud, there's a lot of that, like a lot of that in Lego, uh, especially things with have angles. That's where I get frustrated with looking at Lego and translating it into Minecraft is there's a lot of slopes. There's a lot of like 45 degree angle <laughs> yeah, things. You're like, ah. they're allowed to have ramps and things that curve <laughs> and we are not. Yeah. The, when, yeah. When, I, when I go back to like the Lego sets that I have, I have played with in the past, a lot of them have like cables and stuff that you're supposed to, you know, they connect into the the studs that have holes into that you can just kind of pop stuff in but they they bend around on themselves and you know they're meant to be kind of like cables on a robot or something like that and there's you know there's there's so few ways you can do that in minecraft without just having awkward right angles of fences and end rods and stuff like that we talked about that with the lightning rod uh saying oh that's going to be perfect for copper pipes until you have to turn a corner with it and then the the gap in them is going to be really obvious um and I, yeah. I don't I don't own enough Lego sets to personally take inspiration from anything except for images online. And honestly, if you know, to be real, I find working in Minecraft easier and probably faster than Lego if I'm just firing up a creative mode world and just kind of testing out a build. But I imagine I would end up thinking about this differently if I was working on a physical Lego build with family or friends. Like I have a few friends who have younger kids that they're just starting to like do some Lego building stuff with. And it'd be really cool if that could then translate into Minecraft experience. But as somebody who's done a little bit more uh, brick building recently, Joel, are you interested in kind of translating that one-to-one in Minecraft? Not from a Star Wars perspective, um, because, again, there's not enough sub-blocks for all the cool angles and um, 
this the the really intricate stuff that these Lego Star Wars builds have. Even even little sets um have rotating parts and they'll have um bits that are attached to hinges and then those panels are closed to give the illusion that it's a 37 degree angle, you know, yeah. <laughs> for the the fuselage of the of the A-wing ship or something like that kind of stuff. And actually to be honest, I don't find the ultimate collector's edition stuff all that great it's more like it's more like a sculpture yeah and, and therefore it doesn't feel lego scale to me it just feels like they're using lego as like a sculpting tool uh-huh. the one exception is is like they don't have it anymore but it was this super star destroyer the one from return of the jedi mm-hmm. it's like the point of the it was up until the millennium falcon came out it was the biggest star wars set that you could get um, and if you really want your mind blown, start looking up like oversized Star Destroyer builds, like custom builds from Lego. Like we're talking things that are the size of your dining room table and hu- like hundreds of thousands of pieces go into these these custom builds that people make. And it is ridiculous. <laughs> like it's just, it's so cool to see that kind of stuff. But I, to me, I just like Lego is the better tool for it. Because in Minecraft, you don't have the sub blocks, you don't have the angles. Um, even Minecraft, like if I was going to do something cool, like build an Imperial Star Destroyer, Minecraft's not big enough. The world isn't big enough for the, <laughs> the square meterage that you'd have to actually do uh, to make it look decent at a scale. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to be doing anything like that. I I will obviously take inspiration when I go and do some sci-fi builds eventually on the Citadel because I do have plans for that. I'm sure I will be taking inspiration from things like Tatooine or maybe Mostafar or um, even things like, you know, the Ewok village or Death Star type stuff. Certainly, I mean, TIE fighters are one of the things that are a little bit easier to do in Minecraft. So there might be some inspiration from those kind of things, but I'm probably going to quote unquote Minecraftify it. So kind of make it my own without trying to copy it because I, I think copying it would just make me mad. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. think I would be frustrated. I don't think I would enjoy it. If you want a great example of this, uh, currently ongoing, look up uh, Rendog's Hermitcraft Season 7 series because a lot of the stuff he's doing is inspired by Star Wars and a lot of it is faithful reconstructions of builds from the series of, of actual locations. But then a lot of it is tied together with his own kind of take on this is how this landscape would look and doing custom built stuff himself. So definitely worth it if you want the the Star Wars inspiration. And from- Correct me if I'm wrong, but hasn't Lucid... Uh, um... Logical Geek Boy done? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. He, he, yeah. he basically got rid of the entire central end island and built the Death Star. So there's there's definitely folks out there. They can all uh, they can all take their inspiration from from Star Wars. Um, moving from the, the dogs to the wolves, we have Lucid Wolf writing in about copper pipes for this next email. Howdy, Joel and Picks. Uh, listening to your discussion in episode 119 about more uses for copper, I really like Joel's idea about copper pipes. I wanted to add something to the idea to distinguish copper pipes from hoppers. What if copper pipes could only send items in one direction along a chain of pipes? Like hoppers, they would check for one side from one side for input, but unlike hoppers, they would only send items in one direction along the chain. There's also potential for the direction to be reversed with a redstone input. Hope to hear your thoughts on the idea. Keep on chunking, Lucid Wolf. Uh, I was a little confused at first because hoppers already are only one direction because it's, I mean, they're multiple direction in terms of their possibility, but once you place them, they only send things really in one direction outside of sucking from below you know like they mm-hmm. if it's a singles chain they're only going left they can't go right right that, that's you have to have a separate chain to do that um so i thought copper pipes could differentiate themselves from hoppers by being bi-directional they can send stuff in any direction or or just two directions depending on which way they're facing um perhaps a special input or output pipe could attach giving the player control i don't know uh, I'm thinking something specifically like the hypertubes from Satisfactory, uh, but with items. More players. That could be fun. <laughs> I don't know what that's going to do to your POV, but um, if anybody hasn't, check out the Satisfactory Update 3 trailer where they show off pipes and hypertubes. And boy, oh boy, are they fun. I've played with them. And I think that it would be a really interesting addition to to Minecraft to have some sort of copper piping. I, I would settle for items even if, you know, the sky the, the sky limit would be players, but items would be would be okay too or mobs like even if it's the player can't go but if you could suck villagers around in a tube (laughs) like it's um 
for anybody that's ever seen an old movie where they send like pneumatic tubes with like suction and they send messages up in office buildings when you drop something in and kind of goes whoop, and then it gets mm-hmm. you know shot through the system that's what i'm thinking of uh and it's uh it's incredibly fun uh and and silly it's like it doesn't sound like the most efficient way to do something but that's it that's the fun of it um and i i see that will run for fun in our chat has just mentioned that copper hoppers would be uh <laughs> one cool two in line with skulk sensors uh and what's the other one that's a tongue twister oh gosh um, there's there's so many of them at this point yeah there's, there's a whole lot all the different yeah all the different things that mine that uh, mojang is putting out now with the names it's just just too much um your, your enthusiasm but, for sending villagers around in pipes is just making me think of the intro to Futurama at this point. <laughs> just like this <laughs> this cityscape with bald men traveling in tubes. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's it's a fun idea. And I think a lot of this stuff has already been done by stuff like mods, where there are item transport pipes and stuff like that. Not to say it can't then be implemented in vanilla, but I think there's there's extra stuff you have to add to that in order for it to function with the current landscape of Minecraft without adding you know, things like valves and some sort of pneumatic pump, and then you're getting into, like, a whole bunch of extra stuff that's just used to do one thing. Um, and I, I think there is potential for copper to be used for pipes at some point, and I, I still like the idea of them conducting redstone power in some sense or another. So there is still potential for that stuff to come up, and we'll see if they end up uh, adding more uses to copper as the snapshots continue. Um, we should get to the last email, though, before we uh, wrap up for today. Sounds like a plan. This last one comes from Luna Rover, bundling bundles up. Seasons greeting Johnny and Joel. I have been enjoying your speculation about bundles in Minecraft snapshots, but an idea has struck me straight in the chunky face. Why can't we have separate inventory slots for bundles? Like slots for your armor and shields, nothing except bundles would be able to be put in those places. Mojang could add another four quote unquote bundle slots somewhere in the inventory. I haven't started started a snapshot survival world, but I think they could be used for mob drops, food, miscellaneous items, and farming items. Chests and other GUI interfaces would not be able to have these bundle slots. I'm all about carrying on what's already there. Uh, also, these bundle slots could teach new players about bundles as they would have a silhouette image of bundles in these empty inventory slots. What do you think? Chunks for the show, Luna Rover. It's an interesting concept is having like dedicated slots for bundles is what this is saying so adding a couple of things to the gui maybe even next to the armor i I know some mod packs do that with stuff like baubles right where there's like a a secondary armor screen that's got slots for accessories effectively Mm -hmm. um and yeah i don't know about this because i i still feel like the point of bundles is to have everything take up one inventory slot and it just be like it's still a slot in your main 27 item inventory or the hotbar, I guess. So 36 uh, item inventory, but you're going to still have it there instead of just kind of like hanging the bundle off your belt or something like that. And I think the ever expanding GUI is something Mojang is trying to avoid. And that's why we're getting solutions like bundles and you don't end up with stuff like nesting inventories that start to become a little hard to handle. I think it's it's kind of along the same lines as them not wanting to add additional inventory space because it just seems like a band-aid for a problem that will just grow again. Um, that That's my thoughts on it though, Joel. What were you going to say? I really along the same lines. I think with bundles, the idea is the player has to sacrifice an inventory slot in order to stack multiple kinds of items in that one spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that's. I mean, that's the trade-off. Like that's the it's it, the the philosophy we've heard from Mojang before is like you know time in versus reward out. Well, there's no time in really for for bundles outside of getting the leather from rabbits and stuff. Uh, it it's or the rabbit skins rather. It's more about like okay, well, if we're going to let you stack multiple items in one inventory space, which you cannot do otherwise, then you have to sacrifice that inventory space with this bundle and have everything be bundled inside of it. Yeah, yeah, I I, th- I think that's kind of the way it goes. It's definitely, like you said, the trade-off at that point. It's it's um, you know, I I think I think the other thing about having extra inventory slots for bundles, you end up again with the problem of the being sort of out of sight, out of mind. If they're not taking up the main space of your inventory, I think you might even use them less 
because mm-hmm. you can just tuck the bundle there and then problem solved it's not there anymore and then that leads to you effectively if you think of the maximum contents of a bundle being like 64 unique items then that means you have four new slots in which you can potentially carry up to you know 256 more items in your inventory as well as you know bundles on each of the other slots from that point you know there's there's thousands upon thousands at that stage so i think there needs to be a limit and i think uh like i said the ever expanding gui thing is potentially not the direction mojang wants to take it but i mean keep thinking about stuff like this because these ideas i'm sure have come up when they've been developing solutions to the inventory problem and i love to hear emails like this because we're always getting uh interesting new ideas for what could be a potential solution down the line i think that is probably where we're going to wrap up this episode of the show though thanks so much to everybody who emailed in and thanks to you for listening i think it's great to end the year on a kind of community focused show and we've had some absolutely fantastic this has been the year of the chunk mail i feel like for us like we're getting so much email we've had to you know get some help even sorting through the inbox because we have so many great emails each week so thank you all so much for writing in and keep it coming in 2021 uh he says (laughs) a heart in throat a little bit because i imagine you guys will bring it uh in the meantime though you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show was composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to have been a listener supported podcast for another entire year if you're getting some value out of the show please consider putting some value back in at this holiday season visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community pledging at any level there gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat and gets us closer to our future goals of having a monthly minecraft audio hangout with our patrons where we just chat about what they've been up to in minecraft that month uh we are currently at 221 patrons which has not changed since a couple of days ago when we recorded the last show but thank you all so much for your support and special thanks go out to our content engineers general pattern 82 greener canuck hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. It's free. You can find us at The Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. But a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast with your friends. As you are gathering safely over the holidays, just poke a friend in the arm and say, hey, you should listen to The Spun Chunks and tell them where they can go to listen to it. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, really wherever you get your podcasts. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com, a reminder that those emails will not be read until 2021. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com, and of course, the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page, and that's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixorifs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, and streams should be resuming now that we are back into, headed towards the new year. Uh, I do the behind-the-scenes work for The Survival Guide there, so come on and chill out. It's... uh, twitch.tv slash pixorifs i'm also the voice of the unofficial hermitcraft recap which you can find through a quick youtube search and aside from that i'm at pixorifs on both twitter and instagram joel where can people find you online everything i do online including my illustration and design portfolio is at joelduggan.com i am already getting some requests for 2021 so if you have some art projects that you want to work with me on just uh, drop me a line through the website you can also listen to the citadel cafe my podcast all about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment Boy, do we have a couple of good episodes uh, this week and next week. Uh, I recorded with a number of friends, huge roundtables, all about the nerdy events of 2020 and what we're looking forward to in 2021. It was an absolute blast. I really encourage you to check that out at thecitadelcafe.com. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, twitch.tv slash Joel Duggan, where I'm streaming Minecraft, No Man's Sky, maybe some new games. I'm going to be doing some extra streams over the holidays. Come over, have some fun. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and you axolotl questions.